0: All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. I probably shouldn't say this week, since we actually might record more than one this week. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I think, this is, you doing, Rich?
1: I think this is two in four or five days, so yeah, I
0: think we're already there, buddy. We are already there. We're almost like competent podcasters, it feels good.
1: No, 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 don't, don't go that far.
0: <laughs> it's only taken us five years to get to this point, but here we are. So, it's probably good that we don't do these after every game. probably Uh, I am, (laughs) for my own sanity, I am glad that we could avoid game one. And not that we won't talk about it, of course. But that we didn't have to react to it quite as in the moment as we otherwise would have. Because game two was a completely different outcome. And a completely different feeling to it. Um, You know, you saw... I forget who it was. I think it was maybe Ben Falk. But they had a stat where home teams that lose game one, win game two 79% of the time. And that makes a lot of sense, right? You have, first of all, the home team in a playoff series is usually the better team. So you would think they would win above 50% as is. Then you add in factors of motivation and desperation, and you would expect that to go up even more. And I think we saw all three of those factors play in on Monday night. You know, you had the better team that was a desperate team and the more focused team. And uh, that third quarter was something I've never seen before. Whew, what a
1: beatdown! Kenny Atkinson said before the game that he was expecting a haymaker right away. He did not get it. Yeah, they got it. They just didn't get it when we thought they were going to give it to him. You know, and it's, you have that first half where the Sixers really dominated for long stretches, but yep. the Nets were winning the math game, man. And they were taking more threes and they were making a, a high percentage of them. Some of them were tough shots. And, uh, it's funny. Uh, I'll have this on my, my piece on the athletic. Uh, I think that'll, that'll run tomorrow. So maybe as you're listening to this before game three, Brett Brown was losing his mind in the first half over some of the defensive breakdowns. It is very yeah. clear that there is one thing he does not want. He does not want the Nets taking a ton of threes. And I th- I think in general, like the Sixers, like you said, are more talented. If they can get them to play inside the arc, they're going to win this series. And they come out and Ben Simmons is just a monster on defense in the third quarter against D'Angelo Russell, both, I mean, primarily just denying them the basketball, and, and that was really impressive. But then forcing them right like the Sixers won them too, and the Sixers were, I think, I, I looked at it at the end of the quarter, six threes for the Nets, six threes for the Sixers attempted. Sixers make all four. Sixers win by 28. <laughs> Game over. So, yeah, it, it did feel like they kind of uh, just just very quickly asserted control in the series again.
0: Yeah, the first half, like you said, was weird. Like, on the one hand, they really did feel like they outperformed them in almost every way. Uh, They were sharper defensively. Their ball movement was better. They were, you know, looked to be more dominant. Like, they're getting to the line. They're getting inside. But, you know, I think Brooklyn was 10 for 23 from three-point range, and the Sixers were two for six, two for for not many um, in the first half. And, I mean— that three-point shot is a real big equalizer. And some of that was, you know, it looked like there were some defensive breakdowns, especially, you know, they fouled two three-point shooters in the first quarter, which just must have driven Brown mad. It drove everyone watching it mad, so I assume it drove him mad. Pretty safe assumption on that part. And then towards the end of the second quarter, um, they started letting, you know, Russell come off off, uh, to his left. They started letting a little bit of penetration. There were at times where it looked like they were helping on ball handlers, off the screen, and on roll man a little bit more than they typically do, especially with J.J. Redick. It seemed like they were willing to send that third guy in there and at least slow him down a little bit, and that bit him a couple times. You know, right in the first minute or two of the game, I think Butler got hit twice on threes that he wasn't able to quite recover back from, and that's sort of what they've been scheming against the entire season. Like, that's exactly what they don't want to give up, and Brooklyn was able to get those shots, and then Brooklyn just made some really tough shots. Shots that you looked at and you go, okay, look, if they're going to make that all night long, you just tip your cap to them. There's really, if you're going to try to take that away, you're going to end up costing yourself in other areas. And, you know, they came back down to earth. Sixers denied them three-point looks. Like you said, Simmons off ball, we were going to focus a lot on what he was able to do offensively. And that's deservedly so. Like, it seemed like he woke up and realized he was 6'10", and there was nobody that had his size, strength, and speed on the other side of that floor. And he really took advantage of it. It was good to see. It's a kind of, you know, for as much as we talk about spacing and and how he might limit their half-court offense because he doesn't shoot and Butler and Embiid and all that stuff. And there's truth in all of that. And in terms of reaching their absolute maximum ceiling, that's a factor. But there's still just a consistency factor that he can make more out of his current skill set, out of his current physical tools on a more consistent basis. And that was a big part. But really what blew me away was defensively. First of all, how consistently he overs you know overplayed his left hand. And you know, that's nothing where you're gonna look at and be like, wow, that's an incredible play. But having the sort of focus to do that the entire game, that that really takes some um, you know, that is a, a pretty big accomplishment. He was real good at that. And then just denying him the ball. Like you a couple of those possessions in the third quarter, they were very clearly trying to get it to Russell at the top of the key. Couldn't do it. And Simmons just wouldn't let him do it. And there were a couple of them where they had a turnover because they just didn't know what to run after that. He was he was really impressive defensively.
1: Simmons Island man, he was like a cornerback just blanketing a receiver. Um, is this is that game even more frustrating? In that I, I mean, we we talk about Ben and his current lack of a shot and you know, how it affects his game, but I think we saw him play about as poorly as he possibly can in game one. And then game two was just pretty much a masterpiece on both sides of the ball. And it's just, is this Does who make he,
0: game one more frustrating?
1: Is this who he is now? Like where we just, we're just going to have these wild swings in between the two players, or I, I would hope he could at least settle into uh something a, of a more consistent player. I, I guess the good news is for this series, at least, he did realize, like, all right, I am bigger and stronger than everybody they're throwing against me. And that includes the help defender as well. Like, when uh, when uh Rodion's Curix is guarding him, or the the other guy, right. as, as Ben would say, and J- Jarrett Allen is the help defender, when that turns into Kawhi Leonard and Marcus, Gasol, maybe that's a little bit different. But at least for this series, I thought such a major part of what... Uh, what the Sixers did on Monday night was just Simmons and Embiid. It wasn't just that they were aggressive. They were smart and they were patient realizing, okay, we can get a lot of good looks over these guys, whether, you know, if they play a hundred feet off us, whether that's Joel kind of just dribbling into the post, whether that's Ben getting a screen from Butler Embiid, like literally in the lane for a layup or, even him improving his angles to pass to JJ Redick, it it just seemed like they they took their time and realized, okay, we we have the size and the skill to beat these guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really was. He even add Boban into the mix, where he, you know, they went to his zone more than they did in game one. I don't have the exact numbers, but more than they did in game one, and he just, okay, I'll take a shot and it was not awesome. a. It was, it was really incredible. Like they gave him that 17 footer all night and he must've made five or six of them and they kept giving it to him. And he, he, he didn't seem like he was really, he seemed like he was a little bit reluctant to take those shots. Like, I don't think he is used to being like a focal point offensively, but if they're going to go to that garbanzo beans (laughs) zone and give him that shot every time down, like let it rip, man. You can, I don't know what his, his free throw shooting is off top of my head, but that's basically a free throw shot with nobody on you like that. Like, let it fly, man. I think he's load in. The, up.
1: I think he's in the '70s on the yeah, load up, brother. Uh, I think he's in the '70s on the free throws, just from what I remember. But I, I still have nightmares about uh, Antonio Davis in the 2001 series against the Raptors making every oh, baseline jumper. Uh, well, that's Boban at the free throw line right now. He is yep. he's cash and. I look part of the, the Antonio Davis thing was frustrating, but they're leaving Boban wide the hell open. And it's funny after the game, he was like, you know, I didn't really want to shoot it. He was like, it's almost like he needed to be goaded by the crowd on a couple of those. Like, shoot it. He should just, man, he, if he, if he's that wide open, he should just fire those right away. Um,
0: He's 77% for his career. Yeah. That's really good.
1: He's been good. There was a, Before the series, I thought it was going to be a good Boban series. And to be fair, Jared Dudley did not play the other night, and that's when things get dicey a little bit. But if he's matched up against Ed Davis or Jared Allen, Boban is playable.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there are times where he will give up a little more space on that pick and roll to D'Angelo than you would want. Uh, But then again, right now, with the way Embiid is moving, he is giving up a little more space than you would want. So it's sort of something you've just kind of talked yourself into living with. He has played, he has played really well, um, especially for what you need out of him. Um, and and for a team right now that could use some minutes because they don't really want to put a beat out there for the quantity of minutes that you typically would.
1: Yeah. I guess let's. Yeah. Brett said today ahead. that, you know, he could have played in the fourth quarter and that's, I think that was the other side benefit of that massive third quarter. And that, they Huge. were able to keep yep. Embiid's minutes down and and buy time and Brett's uh, Brett's lingo. The uh, I think Brett said he's like I it, it's probably under thirty his minute limit right now, but somewhere close to that. So yeah, but Boban has been very important on this series. I'll, uh, <laughs> as we know, they're going to have to ratchet that up at some point if the Sixers keep advancing. But for now, Boban's doing a good job.
0: What the Embiid minutes? Yeah. Yeah, no, it'll it'll be real interesting how they handle Boban if they do end up advancing. Um, you know, the Raptors, I guess, are a not terrible Boban matchup, depending on who they put out there. Um, not a good matchup. Not as good as the Nets, but not as bad as Boston. So take what you can get, I guess. Um, yeah. It will be interesting to see what the Sixers do with their lineups if they do advance. Yeah. Um, I guess let's move on to that a little bit. Nice to get James Ennis back.
1: Oh yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it was funny in Brett's uh, press conference. He's like, I don't think people realize how big of a deal that is for us. And, you know,
0: oh, I think we realized we spent a week freaking out about it.
1: That, uh, that's like his tongue in cheek way of saying like
0: the other guys stink
1: who we were playing. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was really important. And, he also made the the small adjustment to make the, the eight and a half, the, the half in that uh, equation, Jonah Bolden, instead of Jonathan Simmons, which I am all for. I know you're all for because it's not Jonathan Simmons. Um, anytime you can do that, I think that's a good thing. But yeah, I'm James Venice, It's it's very simple. He's not great, but he can switch a little bit. He's not a total liability on the defensive end. And for the sixers, who, when they go to that second unit, they want to play heavy pick and roll with butler and and Harris. They just want to do spread pick and roll beaumont set a screen and let those guys operate. It's better to have him than t j because James Ennis, even though he has not shot it well with the sixers, can make a three
0: and will at least take a three, yes, which is a a minor accomplishment on this team, which is Weird to say, but uh, with Simmons and the Markell experience and now a little bit of Jimmy Butler, who's, who's let it fly a little bit more in the playoffs, but went long periods of time without it. And TJ, that's a lot of guards who don't shoot, um, especially for, for this era. So yes, a, a, a 3 and D wing who will try on D and attempt on 3 doesn't sound like the world's greatest accomplishment. But when your other options are TJ and Jonathan Simmons it is it's a huge boost um you know he doesn't vomit the ball up on offense like Jonathan Simmons which is great uh, he shoots the ball unlike TJ which is great and he has he has more size more length uh, he moves his feet reasonably well defensively it is it was a huge shot in the arm and it was a you know a little bit of a wake-up call to how thin the sixers are that again when we look at this this team and you look at Mike Scott, and Jonathan Simmons or uh, Mike Scott and James Ennis. And you're like, well, those are your first two wings off the bench. That should be real low hanging fruit this summer. You can upgrade that sixth and seventh man. uh, So we will see what they do, but it is, it is, it is a big, big boost to get them back.
1: It's, it's good. John Simmons, he's just crossing over guys that don't exist
0: on, you know,
1: (laughs) en route to, to coughing up the basketball. It's uh. Yeah, it's not great. And that's, so that is kind of where the Sixers lost that first game, which, I again, was a lot on Redick, Simmons, and Harris having terrible games and Embiid being you know, a little slow and, or a lot slow and, and a little worse than he usually is. The, uh, they they lost it in those minutes where John Simmons was playing. And then, uh, and then Karis LeVert, when he's up against James Ennis, just can't walk to the rim all of a sudden. And you know james ennis did a nice job i thought you know he, he was on a 12 minute limit the other night he, he could probably be you know is as you're able to ramp up his minutes and hopefully his uh his quad doesn't get hit again that'll be that'll be a good thing and then you know it's it's like those
0: minutes limits sure are easier to stick to when you're up 30 we'll see what brett does yeah if there is a closer game here in game three
1: yeah and i, and I obviously expect it to be closer the uh I, I, here's my question: If you're Brooklyn, you see that haymaker the Sixers throw to start the second half. Um, Brooklyn's starting lineup is limited. If, if oh, you, you got to
0: change it. If yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: if you deny yeah. uh, Russell the ball like Simmons did, their creation is just very, very iffy. And you know, Reddick no, did a did a better job chasing Harris around the other day. I feel like you need to either get Dinwiddie or Lavert in there to start.
0: Yeah, I th- I think, and this is just, I guess, what I would do, but I would be a little surprised if at some point in this series Atkinson doesn't make a change into that starting lineup. Get Dinwiddie in there. Like you said, get another ball handler in there. Um, and, you know, that would be a, then a... The, the Nets would go from a pretty big guard rotation to a, a pretty small, small forward rotation, uh, with the, which against the Sixers might be tough because the Sixers have so much size. But they really, really need another creator and another ball handler in there uh, make it a little bit tougher for the Sixers to um you know to stop D'Angelo who has really struggled and I think um you know he obviously had that big second half but now in he didn't play in the fourth quarter but I would say in five of the uh, five of the eight quarters he's been he's been pretty well locked up by Simmons who's, who's done a really good job on him get another ball handler on there Make those switches a little tougher of a decision. Uh I would I would I would expect they will change something up at some point, especially I mean that third quarter was I mean, talk about incredible. Like Sixers scored fifty one points on I think it was twenty six possessions, which is basically two points per possession. That's crazy, man. So if you think about that, as long <laughs> as the Sixers as long as the Nets could force the Sixers into running some shot clock, they would have given up the same amount of points by letting them go in for a dunk every possession down the floor. <laughs> It was over a 12 minute span of basketball. It was insane. It was, insane.
1: It was crazy. Uh, and to, you know, the way the Sixers started, it, it just reminded me of like, you know, the Brett Brown criticism. Cause the whole time I'm thinking, call a timeout, Kenny, call one man, get somebody in there. And then before, uh before you can blink, it's a 20 to two run. Uh,
0: I, I like Kenny Atkinson, by the way, I have, uh, yeah, I've- can you imagine, though, can you imagine if, if Brett Brown would be giving up that third quarter? Oh, man. Oh, man. We would have heard about it for weeks. He gives up runs all the time. all summer. Yeah. And then and, and even go to Golden State and the <laughs> lead that they blew, which was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, you know, but Kirk comes out after the game. We stopped playing in the third quarter. Well, I mean, first of all, no shit. Like, we all saw that. But for a coach to say that, like, it's easier to get by with that when you've won. So it's clearly different. But it just goes to show that some of these like big runs that teams go on, Nets fans were just go like losing their minds that Atkinson didn't call out timeout early, which probably was deservedly so. But I think I think my point is that these kind of things happen to every team. We're just hyper focused on the one we have. We either cover or follow.
1: Yep. And uh, I think first off, I think he's a good coach who has less talent in this series. But uh, yep, I've uh, I've enjoyed just listening to him talk, though. You know the. Before game one, he's, he's Big going— Big Flyers
0: fan. Holy, Who would have thought that?
1: Holy crap, man. He was like—he said everything except, like, Dave Schultz is my hero or, or <laughs> you know, he's going nuts about Bobby Clark. Uh, that was crazy. And then in the before the second game, he uh, <laughs> he gets asked a direct question. Are you going to lag off Simmons and Embiid until they uh, can make shots? And, you know, usually play off, in the playoffs especially— coaches are are more tight-lipped about their strategy and i get it like rightfully so you know brett specifically in the regular season is pretty good with kind of sharing his thinking behind things but that changes a little bit in the playoffs which i get (laughs) so kenny atkinson gets that question (laughs) he chews it over for about i don't know 10 seconds tries to think of a creative way to answer it cannot think of anything and then finally shrugs and says yes uh, <laughs> and everybody laughs. <laughs> He's like, well, I mean,
0: but who I like, he, he didn't reveal anything.
1: There. Well, then he, and um, then he, uh, then he goes, look, you guys are watching the game. Like you, you get it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world to, uh, to find, but yes, I, I agree. I agree with you. I, I think Dinwiddie will have to go into the starting lineup, but then that, that changes the rotation up for Brooklyn. They, they have less, uh you know, they'll have less creation on those bench lineups. It'll be a lot more Karis LeVert.
0: What do you think of Joel so far?
1: Physically, specifically. I thought he looked better in game two, but there are still signs that you you can see that that knee is, uh, is struggling a little bit. It was funny. I mean, you, you were there with me before game one, we were watching him work out and, uh, A lot of people are filming him, and TJ cracks like, "Man, there's a lot more cameras usually than for my pregame workouts." Uh, And I I specifically, I saw him say to Chris Babcock after he did a move. Chris Babcock, the assistant coach, asked him, "How'd that feel?" And he like shrugs, like, "Eh, you know." So like, not not great in his opinion. Um, Went through and and
0: part of that could have been the brace that he had on, which he said after the game that he did not enjoy. Yes
1: so that, that could have been part of it. Uh, I thought he looked a little bit better, like moving in workouts
0: in, uh, game. He looked, he looked more purposeful in workouts is what I would say, Yeah, which is when you had a real good idea. Like he's playing. Yeah. Um, and we, we both said that. Um, and then, you know, we had sort of like a make a tweet coward, uh, moment where (laughs) neither of us would actually tweet that out just in case we were wrong, but it was pretty clear that he was going to play, but it, even to start that game, he just doesn't, He doesn't, I mean, the elevation isn't there. The explosion isn't there. He doesn't change direction like he does at his peak. It seemed like he maybe got a little bit better as the game wore on. And, and maybe he got into some kind of a flow and a rhythm. And maybe that, if you're looking for it, like I don't, like this knee pain, I don't expect to go away over the course of the se- uh, series or even probably the, the postseason run, however long that may be that seems a little optimistic to be waiting on that, but maybe he just gets back into a little bit better of a rhythm. Uh, maybe there's with less time, you know, not taking these long breaks. Maybe it just doesn't like, I, I don't know. I don't exactly know what kind of day after pain there is on tendonitis here. I don't know. I don't know. I don't expect it to clear up overnight, but maybe it doesn't get worse. I don't know. I do think he's, he just hasn't played basketball. So there's, To me, three things factoring in here. First of all, the pain in the knee, which I don't think is going to go away. Then there's not playing basketball in, you know, really much at all over the last couple of months on a consistent basis. And that could get better if he continues to play basketball. And then there's just sort of like the conditioning aspect of it from not playing basketball. You know, there's kind of like the rhythm aspect of not playing basketball and then the conditioning aspect. And maybe that gets better. So maybe he'll end up looking better, but I don't, like, I don't think we're ever going to be like, you know, I wonder if that knee is not bothering him anymore. I think that's probably unrealistic. This season. We'll see. They framed it as
1: buying time, so I I, I don't really know what they expect. There there were a couple plays specifically where I thought, like, yeah, you can tell the change of direction is in there. Yep. He got he got switched on to Levert, I think, in game two, and kind of on a pick and roll where Levert snaked out and then got the switch. And normally you'd say, this is fine, I think, because S- Simmons takes Embiid's guy and Joe, you don't want him guarding on the perimeter too much, but he's more than capable of shutting down a guard or a wing one-on-one. And Levert beat him with a crossover in a way that you just don't usually see. That was something. And yeah, it's like he said, the uh, even if he's dealing with this knee pain, the good news is, one, he really wants to play. And two, he's so freaking talented that he can win with power and skill. And that's what he did. So... Yeah. I mean just really efficient game um might not be quite the factor on on defense uh but you know I <laughs> it's clear that something is bothering him but it, with that said and kind of knowing in general that that the knee is bothering him I thought he played very well the other night
0: Oh yeah he still played very well um
1: G- good elbow too people's elbow to uh oof. Jared Allen.
0: I'll tell you what. We were we were not too far from that elbow. And you could see right away, like, just the reaction of um, Allen's face, like, snap back like that. He was not, that was not acting at all. Um, he did not flop. And the reaction of the fans surprised me at first uh, with some boos coming down, thinking that he flopped and the refs fell for it. And then that reaction sort of, now, I don't know how many times I was watching a monitor uh, from the TV replay. I don't know whether the inner arena, um, operations showed it on the big screen, but they kept booing it. And it's like, that was a foul. Come on. like We can debate whether it should be a flagrant one or a flagrant two. I would have gone flagrant one. It should have been a flagrant one. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think
1: you can debate it. It should have been a common foul. (laughs) I think it's pretty clearly a flagrant.
0: it, It doesn't even matter if he was intentionally trying to hit him with his elbow. Like you connect like that. You are going to get that call every time. Yeah. Um, I don't think it should have been a two, which to me is the only real consideration, uh, and I'm glad they didn't take control of a playoff series into the refs' hands like that. But it was most certainly a foul, and I have absolutely no problem with uh, with it getting a flagrant one.
1: But and then him, then him and Ben laugh about it afterwards too.
0: Yeah, he uh, he apologized, and Ben started laughing, and Joel <laughs> explained it as Ben isn't used to him being humble. Uh, So that's why he was laughing. But he had a good, solid, like, 20-second laugh there, which I don't think the Nets appreciated, and we'll see if there's any escalation here in Game 3, which is part of the fun of a playoff series, how these two teams start to despise each other. You saw it last year against the Heat, where the two teams just hated each other by the end of it. Um, I'm not sure you really saw it quite as much in the Boston series, because I think the Sixers were mostly pissed off at themselves, which maybe helped diffuse that a little bit. I think there was some back-and-forth chipping, but not quite... To the same degree, like we didn't have to, the Sixers didn't have to send Justin Anderson out there to get in any fights that series. So that was good. Um,
1: the uh, the Sixers, just with those two guys, first off, they made a mistake having those guys talk at the same time and field that question because Joe would yeah. have made it through that question without laughing if Ben was not laughing next to him. Uh, yep. So that was, that was a mistake, number one. Um, but with those two guys and their personality, they are not humble either of those two uh which is fun and interesting they they kind of turn into the wrestling heels sometimes and i think as long as the Sixers are playing playoff basketball they're going to get in more there's just going to be more conflict than your general series i think you know with, with just the physical style of basketball those two play and then the way they go about it uh I mean, they're getting the Nets to fire back, man. The Brooklyn Nets are like Jared Dudley's calling Ben a kind of average in the half court, and there's just zingers all over the place. Um, the Sixers bring that out out of people, and it's uh, it's certainly pretty entertaining. But yeah, those those two dominant in the third quarter.
0: Yeah. Yep. And the whole team. It was nice to see Tobias uh, come alive, who had really been struggling. In the game and a half up to that point, uh, Reddick had a, a a good first half, uh, but it was good to see that whole group extend their good play. Um, and Mike Scott was better. You know, I think one of my big criticisms in the first game, and really it was across the board, like not a single defender on that court on uh, on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, sat- the the wonderful three p.m. Saturday games, but not one defender on the Sixers could keep their man in front of them, and they were giving up D'Angelo going to his left. Um, Mike Scott was pressing people 30 feet from the basket, which drove me insane on the rewatch. Uh, there was not a single defender on the Sixers who could really defend their man one-on-one and up and down the board from Simmons denying Russell and shading him to his left to Butler, who who did a really good job as well to Mike Scott, to James Ennis, like everybody defended better. And I do think getting TJ off the floor is an important step. You know, I think this is a tough matchup for TJ. Like we said I think on the series preview pod, they just have a lot of big guards who they can force switches onto and attack. And you sort of live with that at times with JJ. You hope that he gets more back at the other end than he did in game one, but like he's really important to what this team does offensively. You don't have that same luxury with TJ, especially when he's not shooting that wide open corner three that he had in game one that he didn't even consider shooting, even though he had gosh, it must have been at least 12 feet of space. Um, He just drove it right into the defenders. You can't have that and also give up four inches on the defensive side of the court and expect that to be winning basketball in the playoffs. So getting James Ennis back, playing Jimmy Butler at point guard, you know, I think Butler obviously had that huge scoring outburst in game one, didn't in game two. I forget what he finished with, like seven points or whatever it was.
1: Seven points, three of ten shooting, yeah.
0: Yeah, seven assists, zero turnovers. He's really been in a lot of pick and rolls when Ben Simmons goes to the bench, which I think is good. Good both because it's what Jimmy Butler is good at. And I looked at the numbers this morning, and I think he was the third most efficient high-usage pick and roll player in the playoffs, even though he's only shooting 43% off of those. And the reason is, A, he doesn't turn the ball over ever, like he legitimately, in the 20 pick and roll possessions that he ended a possession on, so that... It's not including passes, which would probably help his numbers better because he had 7 assists the other night. But that's uh, shot attempts, turnovers, and um, drawing fouls. He did not have a single turnover in those 20 possessions. He got to the line a ton. I think it was like 8 free throw attempts or something like that. So those two are helping him be sort of that efficient pick-and-roll player that the Sixers need just as a point of reference. Those pick-and-rolls that I referenced, 1.11 points per play, Sixers half court offense is typically about 0.95 points per play. And I think I went over different points per play and points per possession a couple episodes ago so I'm not going to repeat that, but that's a really good number. That would be better than any half court offense in the league. So those Butler pick and rolls against a bad pick and roll team defensively in the Nets, that's been key um you know Ben Simmons creating out of the post and just eating up space. Like he was aggressive and attack and drove it in. And some of those layups look like they were going to break the backboard, but that's fine. I'd rather that than just standing around (laughs) in the dunker spot, uh, doing nothing. They, they all played a very good game on Monday and you, you know, obviously, you know, you sort of in any data set, you throw out the the worst result, you throw out the best result. You kind of deal with the middle. We hadn't gotten the middle yet because they will not have a game (laughs) as bad as game one. They will not have a game offensively as good as game two so we'll see what the rest has in store
1: weren't they in like the hundredth percentile on cleaning the glass and both points per possession and uh <laughs> offensive rebounding like that's just oh, they, a, I, that's an I insane they, effort
0: i think they grabbed something like 50 percent of their misses that yeah it's and that that's something not 50 percent, but the nets are a really bad defensive rebounding team especially when they go with dudley at small ball center and zone um, so to- i would expect yeah, I would expect them to continue to give up second chance points.
1: Um it's it's very simple. I mean, it, after the first game, I was kind of impressed. The Sixers didn't seem like they were really in panic mode or sweating it too much th- the day after. And I think T it was TJ, who was like, "Man, we shot 3 of 25 from 3. Like I I don't think we played well or and the nets certainly had something to do with that, but like you're never going to win when that happens." on the on the flip side when you rebound 50% of your misses i think you, you have a decent chance of, of winning that game um what was I what was i going to say about uh about butler oh i've been impressed by jimmy i just 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 his personality yeah, yeah. kind of his his vibe he was fantastic in the first game because he had to be because nobody else was playing well um and after the game to his credit he was like man we lost like i you know i happy i played well but doesn't really matter to me and then after game 2 when he he really is kind of a a secondary role uh i think he scored less points than anybody in the starting lineup he was he was happier he said look that's that's great like that's how uh that's how i want to play i you know i don't want to force it so as somebody who's been critical sometimes and a little skeptical of of how much of a role in the offense he's wanted it's uh it's been a good start and you know, I, I think he's a little more locked in on the defensive end. It's been uh, it's been encouraging. They're going to need an engaged Jimmy Butler to go as far as they they want to, and he's been he's been good.
0: Yep, yeah, he has. Uh, he and he's he's been good defensively too, which yeah. uh, we didn't always. I mean, we were pretty critical of his defense throughout the regular season. Not that it was bad, but it wasn't like Jimmy Butler level that we were expecting. But he has been very good so far in these two games against an opponent where he has to be very good at because if there's one way that the nets are going to make this a series it's uh it's with those perimeter scores.
1: You can see in terms of like shrinking the floor and helping off the other shooters. I think he's been guarding Carroll for the most part in the starting lineup. Uh he he wants to help. He he yeah. wants to uh you know, he he does all these crazy double teams during the season, but here like he, he wants to try and find the line between what's responsible help and like, how can I run these guys off the line? Because you can tell, like, he he wants to help out Ben and say, "Well, if you force him right, like, I want to at least be close enough where D'Angelo has to think about me a little bit." And I think, you know, th- there's been some trial and error there, but it, it seems like his his heart's in the right place in terms of what to do defensively. So, yeah, good start for him.
0: His effort has definitely not been in question, which is which is really good because we, I mean, you know, we always said there's two things he needed. And he could really be like sort of that super glue piece, which it feels like you're underselling Jimmy Butler, but I really mean that in the best way. and that he can help you in many different facets of the game, whatever you need, depending on the um, you know the, the the personnel out there alongside him. But he needs to take threes, and he needs to up his defensive consistency and focus, and he's done both both here in the playoffs. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be important
1: because if they start Dinwiddie, he will draw that assignment.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah uh Dinwiddie's been getting to the basket constantly he's pretty good and if you're gonna if if he's real good and if you're gonna put Simmons on russell then you're you're going to have to put uh butler on on Dinwiddie which which will be a fun matchup um all right what else any other any other major takes not really what do you what are you expecting here out of game three
1: uh closer for sure. Um, for sure. Yep. Yeah. I look. I, I just think the Sixers need to continue to press that physical advantage. Yeah, an, another thing, if they start Dinwiddie, that also leaves another mismatch. Like, I mean, if you if you defend Simmons with Kurucs or, or Carroll, may, maybe one of those guys gets taken out for Dinwiddie. Um, Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris they could really eat against those guys. They will be guarded by Russell and Dinwiddie. And I'll be interested to see. I know the Sixers want uh, they want Simmons to, to be active in transition. They want to play through Embiid in the post, and that should be the number one option for sure. But I, I do think you talked about Tobias a little bit. He kind of got going in the second half, but he struggled through the first two games. Uh, I think if they start those two guys, those two guards – there are going to be some major mismatches on the other end of the court. And that's something that that I'll look for. And then besides that, it's uh transition is such a big thing for both teams because the, the Nets got killed a couple times just by, by Butler running the floor and and screwing up their matchup. And I think Simmons just driving Russell in transition. And then on the other end, you want to avoid Reddick on one of those guards. You want him to
0: guard Joe Harris, but
1: that's uh, that. That's been an important thing early in the series, and I don't think that's going to stop.
0: Yeah one of the one of the real amazing stats that I saw when I looked that up, Sixers did not score a single point off of a live ball turnover in Game One. Not a single point. I get that they don't really extend themselves to double team and try to force turnovers. Not that they don't try to force turnovers, but that you know, extending themselves double teams helping off of ball handlers, helping off of Roman, that kind of stuff, where you can force mistakes. But not scoring a single point. And then last night, they scored a... Uh, last night, it'll probably be... We'll say Monday night. It's not even last night now. Monday night, because I don't know what day it is, because that happens at this time of year. Um, I think they got 29 points off of like 14 Brooklyn turnovers. That's fantastic. Um, That's... They not that they are ever going to be like a high transition team just because they don't force those turnovers, which are super high value transition opportunities, but they need to get something. And they, I mean, they did a a really good job on Monday night.
1: That's another stat. They're not losing. If they, they're even in the ballpark there against Brooklyn.
0: So, uh, updated series predictions. I think the nets do pick up one of these two in Brooklyn and the Sixers win game 5 and then finish it off in 6.
1: I think that's the safe way to look at it, man. I uh I, I think it's a let's call it a fairly again, you know, we <laughs> I waffled a little bit when Embiid's status was in doubt and then after the tough game one. I will say it's a fairly comfortable 6 though. That that 6 game is the Sixers turning it on and beating them, but I yeah, I, I'll say 6 and 6.
0: Sounds good. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. It ain't hard to tell. I excel, then prevail. The mic is contacted. I attract clientele. My mic check is life or death. Breathing a sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke of Buddha through righteous steps.